Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. I was constantly putting myself in situations that just made me very uncomfortable. And then like as I got more of those situations under my belt, I was like, oh, I can actually do this. I, I can do hard things. I, I can be in situations that scare me, that cause me like a ton of anxiety. And I can get through them to the other side. That was Will Hatton, who is today's guest. He's been traveling the world for 15 years and launched nine different business ventures in that time, including TheBrokeBackpacker.com, which is one of the world's largest travel blogs. We cover a lot of ground in this conversation, discussing the reality of what it took to build that blog to seven figures while living a travel-based lifestyle, of course, getting his best business advice for you. He also shares why his solo trip through India was so transformative, how it led to a life of travel, why extreme budget travel in far-flung lands is the ultimate tool for personal development and what he's learned along the way, along with his best advice for traveling on a budget, lessons from his experience hitchhiking in Pakistan and Iran. We also discuss his recent project, Tribal, which is Bali's first custom-designed and built co-working and co-living hostel, and he shares the reality of building and running that hostel, and much more tons going on in this chat. I know you're going to love it and we're going to get into it right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, it's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This right here is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. One quick reminder before we dive into the interview, if you haven't gotten in touch, please do so. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email. This is a community after all. I love to hear from you, the listeners out there. You can leave me a voicemail with just a simple click. You'll find that link in the show notes. And you can also sign up for our newsletter. It's free, zerototravel.com slash newsletter, where you get a little bit of travel every week, not just in your ears, but in, in your eyes, into your eyes, deep into your eyes. I will penetrate your eyes with this newsletter. <laughs> All right. I don't know where that came from. That was a bit extreme. Speaking of extreme, Will Hatton, today's guest, traveled the world on $10 a day for a very long time. And 
listen, even if you're not an extreme budget traveler, I get it. I like uh, certain comforts as well. I don't want to travel on $10 a day anymore. But stories from budget travelers and how it connects you with locals and some of the lessons learned along the way, those things are universal, I think, no matter what budget you're traveling on. And so, as always, I feel like there's a lot of value in these conversations with Uh, a well-traveled individual such as Will, who has done a lot of interesting things along the way, including, you know, building this successful business. He even converted to Islam for a little while. We talked about that and his marriage and his divorce and, you know, some of his struggles with drugs and alcohol, a whole bunch of stuff. It's not just the travel stuff. We get into all of it as we do here. And I... I'm excited to share it with you now. So please enjoy my conversation with Will. Stick around on the back end and I'll leave you with a quote to send you off on your way. Thanks for listening and I'll see you on the other side. Cheers. So wait, what do you what are you going to be traveling to Peru for? Well, well, Peru is quite exciting. I'm, I'm heading off for an ayahuasca retreat, um, like a 12-day retreat in the jungle, um, like a kind of more rustic, basic style rather than like ayahuasca tourism. I mean, I guess I'm still a tourist, but you know what I mean? It's like a, it's like a more, it's, it's like a 12-day retreat and you dose eight times. So I'm expecting it to like break my brain open and hopefully reassemble it in a different, different configuration. <laughs> eight times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I've never been to Peru and um, I haven't done much in South America. Like I've been around Colombia a couple of times and and I've been to Venezuela and that was like just an insane experience. Venezuela is just fucking amazing. Um, But Peru's been up on the list for a super long time. So I'm going to head out there and do the ayahuasca retreat 12 days and then like take a little bit of chill time and I think I'll probably get a motorbike and drive around the Andes for a bit. So that should be great. Nice. I uh, just went to a psilocybin retreat and got back two weeks ago. Oh, where was that? First time. It was in the Netherlands. Yeah, cool. Funnily enough, my dad's done that. Um, he's obsessed with mushrooms. He grows his own mushrooms and he's he's been out to the Netherlands a couple of times to do these like guided psilocybin retreats. How was your experience? Did your brain get broken open and reconfigured? <laughs> well, first of all, I can tell you, I can't imagine doing it eight times. We had two ceremonies in a week. And even for the second one, we were like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for this again. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, I did a whole podcast about it. And it was, yeah, it was a great experience for me personally. Tell me about like wanting to reassemble your brain. What do you mean? Is there something specific you're, you're, wor- like, you're working on or you're hoping for? Like give us some intentionality around it? Yeah, absolutely. I've got like a ton of intentionality around it. Um, I've been working with a psychiatrist for like four years. She has been pushing me to go and do this particular retreat for like a year. I've had like in the past, like a lot of issues with uh, like drug and alcohol abuse, basically. Um, I've been sober for a little while now. Um, but I feel that there is some unresolved childhood things that need to be looked into um so yeah i'm excited man i think i'm kind of going in almost with no expectations other than that it will be uncomfortable and my whole 
ethos around backpacking anyway has always been like to get uncomfortable because that's when you learn, that's when you grow, that's when you acquire new skills. So I'm, I, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be uncomfortable. That's the plan. <laughs> There's no question about that, right? I mean, well, that, that sounds exciting, man. I'd lo- love to hear more about that when you get back. I should formally say welcome... Will Hatton to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend, of course, of thebrokebackpacker.com. Great to have you here, man. Thanks for having me, bro. It's about time. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. Like I said, I got this this fancy microphone, especially, which I'm holding here awkwardly. So we're going to make it worth a while. Just for this show? <laughs> no, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've been meaning to actually ask you to come on the show for a while. So it was, it was great that we finally got to, f- to figure it out. Yeah, like you mentioned kind of before we started recording, being a bit more settled. Where, where are you living now? So I'm living in Bali. Um, I, I ended up coming out here like five years ago. I was married to a wonderful lady from Iran who I met whilst hitchhiking across Iran. It was like this whole crazy, crazy love story. I like We got married after like five days and I like converted to Islam and it, it was this whole thing. Um, anyway, there was like 12 countries that we could go to on her Iranian passport and Indonesia was one of them. So we ended up here for what we thought would be like a short trip. Um, and then I found a dog and, and then COVID happened and then we built a hostel and then me and my wife got divorced and, and now I've got five dogs and a hostel. And I spend my time take, look, basically taking care of dogs and young backpackers. And that's pretty much what I'm doing now. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> Bali is a great place to be. Like, it's, there's a lot going on here and it's a real hub for like digital nomads and aspiring entrepreneurs. So that's kind of the premise behind our hostel. Like, it's a little bit different to your standard backpacker hostel. It's got like different style of facilities. So yeah, I'm here like most of the time. And then my plan is to do like four months backpacking a year. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I mean, I definitely have some questions about the the hostel and online business and all the things. I mean, I know we just met, so I mean, you, we we both been nomads, so, so I feel like we're kindred spirits in some ways. And I, I've definitely been on your website a bunch of times, reading things and, and checking your stuff out. So I feel like I, I know you a, a bit. Maybe this is too heavy of a question to just ask right up front, but I was wondering if you could talk a bit about marriage and what you learned from it and the divorce thing and, and all that stuff. I mean, it's a pretty heavy topic. You, We don't have to get into it, but if you want to share, I'd love to hear a bit more. It's, 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 the question that makes me kind of be like, whew, is like, what did I learn from my marriage? Because that's like a big question. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, when you are traveling on the road and you, you, meet, you, make, you meet people and you make these really strong connections, especially if it's in... A scenario like you're hitchhiking and you meet someone you're like hey i'm hitchhiking like do you want to come with me you can kind of have these just crazy strong bonds that can build up over like 24 hours and you're just like two peas in the fucking pod standing by the side of the road listening to jams hitchhiking waiting for some trucker to pick you up um and those kind of experiences i mean that's the kind of stuff i love so like when i found this girl who was like happy to hitchhike around with me and like sleep in a tent like seven days a week. I was like, whoa, this, this is the one. And I will absolutely convert to Islam and change my name for you. So I did that. It, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy experience. I mean, meeting, meeting her was actually probably the catalyst for what like grew my online business because prior to meeting her, I was making like, I don't know, 500,000 bucks a month, uh, mostly selling sponsored posts. So like link placements and brand partnerships and stuff. And um, 
when I met her, I had to I up my game so that two of us could afford to go around together. Yeah, it was a crazy experience. I spent a lot of time in Iran. We had like two weddings in Iran, like one little small one and then like one big one with her whole family. Um, as for like what I learned from it, I think that ultimately you can have two people who very much care about each other, very much love each other, and that can definitely not be enough. <laughs> I think I think it's what I learned. Um, I mean, she's an amazing lady. She's still in Bali. I last saw her like a year ago. I, I love her to death. Like, got nothing but respects for her. And we had a really kind of quite cool breakup where we had like a closing ceremony and spoke about like what we valued about each other and want, wanted to forgive each other for and what wanted to let go of. But um, yeah, I think that when you meet someone on the road, I'm sure you've had this experience where you just can just have these crazy powerful bonds. And I'm a hopeless romantic. So as soon as it was like, oh, Iranian girl just can't possibly work because you're going to have to like convert to Islam and meet her parents. I was like, yeah, we, we're absolutely going to do this because I like a challenge. Yeah, man, crazy experience. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know, but I'm married to a Norwegian who I met in a hostel in Brazil. And it was a very, another one of those immediate connection what you were describing you know like the 24 48 hour like oh my god i feel like you know now we re took us four years to reconnect and everything like that but same kind of idea i guess i'm a bit of a romantic as well uh am i a retired romantic i don't know you'd have to ask my wife i try to be still be open, but, um yeah yeah so you know I, I totally get that man i mean well i'm just curious like when you converted to Islam, was that sort of in name only for a practicality or did you actually like dive a bit into the religion? What did you learn from that experience? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. So I'm not religious at all. So like changing my affiliation on a piece of paper, like was not important to me. Um, and like, it was something I really didn't even think about. I honestly, I kind of thought it was like a little bit humorous. Um, but I've spent like a lot of time in the Middle East. I'm really into ancient history that I, I'm all, I'm always reading a history book. Um, I think that Islam as a philosophy is, is really interesting and definitely has quite a lot to teach. And I feel that during the, like the golden age of Islam, uh, it was very much a civilizing unifying force, um, across the, the demographics and the, the uh, regions of the world that it was spreading. But I think that like all religions, it's a thousand years out of date, so it's it's pretty it's pretty hard to to run your your personal life system on any kind of religion. So no, I didn't I didn't like I didn't really take the conversion particularly seriously. But I did get a cool name. My Islamic name was Reza, which is like I thought it sounded like a quite a cool like kind of gang name. So I was quite into that. I, I guess your wife knew you were kind of like your approach to it, right? I mean, did her family know, or would they be disappointed to hear? how you're describing it right now, which was like, oh, this was kind of just a thing I was doing and it wasn't really necessarily meaning a lot to me in that religious context. So I think the interesting thing about Iran and the interesting thing about like a lot of countries in the Middle East is that uh, people can be culturally um, Muslim without being like practicing Muslim spirituality. And that was certainly the case with my wife and with her family. They were like quite liberal in general and had traveled outside of Iran, um, spoke some English and, um, yeah, they, they were not particularly religious. So I think that they were fine with my attitude towards things. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I was very respectful at all times of, of the situation. Um, and 
Iran is just the most amazing country and the hospitality and the culture that you can find now, I haven't really encountered hospitality like that anywhere else. And that's why it was such a great country to hitchhike around. So certainly like you would meet some people who would pick you up or when you were couch surfing or whatever, who would definitely be like more into the religious side of things than I, I was used to being around. And, you know, it's interesting. I think that's kind of the main point of traveling, right, is to to see other points of view, to encounter like different perspectives. So I was always very interested in talking to people about it and learning about it. But I think that for, for me personally, like just kind of any sort of organized religion just kind of gets like alarm bells ringing like for mm-hmm. me. <laughs> gotcha. You studied Middle Eastern conflict studies. I mean, that, I guess I did. that didn't help with the, I did, didn't help with the marriage arguments, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I, I studied Middle Eastern conflict studies and glacial geography. So I always used to. Yeah, those two that, go like, if, hand if, in hand, don't they? I mean, those can clearly complement each other. <laughs> well, I was thinking that like if, you know, if a glacier suddenly rocked up in Egypt, I would be like the only person that could solve that problem. So I was just trying to niche <laughs> down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just curious. What? Yeah. Why were you interested in those topics? I started out just doing like a standard geography degree. And then was more interested in doing like international relations and then was more interested in joining the army um, and figured that like learning Arabic would be good, but I like miserably failed learning Arabic. So I started Middle Eastern conflict studies instead. And then I kind of lost interest in my degree overall and did pretty poorly, to to be honest, um, and spent most of my time gallivanting around instead. (laughs) You've done that for quite a while, I guess. I know you were doing... You were traveling on basically 10 bucks a day for a really long time. And I wanted to hear a bit about where your travel journey started. Did you did you travel a lot growing up? Because you grew up in the UK, right? Like I wasn't sure if that was actually a part of your family, sort of, yeah, what, what happened in your family? Or did you find travel on your own? Yeah. So I grew up in a very, uh, like in a very poor background and there wasn't really money for travel or holidays or anything like that. Um, I think we went to Greece when I was 12 and uh, Greece had like the worst weather it had had in like 50 years. It was like a typhoon. We couldn't go outside. That was my first experience traveling. Uh, <laughs> and then um, I ended up in India when I was 19. Uh, I got a two-year visa. I had almost no money, but I was like, if I have a two-year visa, I can stay here for two years and I can just like figure it out. So I spent two years in India on like $10 a day or less. I was hitchhiking. I was couch surfing. I was sleeping in train stations. I was buying stuff, selling stuff, working on farms, all sorts. And that was kind of the beginning of my journey. And I have to say that like India is a incredibly beautiful place. It's also one of the most challenging places I've ever been. And since that two-year trip, I've been back to India a bunch. Uh, I've got like a lot of love for India. It's a really hard place to travel by yourself as someone who maybe isn't super confident um, on like a budget that means you're sleeping in train stations. Um, But that that on its own was just the most amazing experience from a personal development point of view because I was constantly putting myself in situations that just made me very uncomfortable. And then like as I got more of those situations under my belt, I was like, oh, I can actually do this. I I can do hard things. Like I can be in situations that scare me, that cause me like a ton of anxiety and I can get through them to the other side. Um, and I guess like if you're kind of making a pile of rocks, eventually it like stacks up, right? So my confidence, my life skills, my like belief in my own abilities just improved over time. So go, going to India at that age and traveling India in that way 
was just like it was just a trial by fire um but it was an amazing experience did those lessons translate to you having the confidence to start your own business for example and other things in life that are let's say unrelated to travel well your bu- your business is related to travel but you know what i mean yeah i mean so like i literally i literally couldn't talk to women like at all um so i invented a game uh, and the game the game was that you have to talk to one more person than yesterday uh, and I got up to like 56 people or something before I was like, okay, I think oh we've taken God. this as far as we need to take it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was just, it, you know, I think you probably experienced the same thing when you, especially when you rock up somewhere new and you're by yourself, it is like a brand new start and traveling. It's almost like speed dating with friends, with connections, with versions of yourself, because you can just leave. And, and decide, hey, this next place, I'm maybe going to be a little bit quieter or I'm going to be a bit more outgoing or I'm going to be the fun guy or I'm going to be the guy journaling in the corner or whatever. And I think that having that freedom to play around with reinventing myself and, and who I wanted to be was like very, very liberating. Yeah, I mean, this is a kind of what teenagers do, right? Like it's like a known thing, like a teenager will sort of try on different identities and travelers can do that as well. Like you mentioned, I don't know if you were consciously doing it or just kind of doing it in the flow, but it it is super helpful to kind of lead you to like what what is actually at the core here of who I am. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I think for me, I like I've been writing manifestos since I was about 17. Uh, and like I, I would rewrite it like every couple of weeks. Uh like who who is Will Hatton? Who is Will Hatton gonna be in ten years' time? What's important to Will Hatton? What are his non-negotiables? Um, and these have changed a lot. But what's really interesting is I've got like, I don't know, 17 years worth of notes to read over. Uh, it's really interesting to see how things develop over time. And I think that when you are on the road, you you just you have more space for introspection. And also, you know, you're tired. You're hungry. People are in your face. So you get to see how you respond in those instances. And I've certainly had moments where I've been like, whoa, you were just kind of a douchebag to that person who was in your face. And maybe you could have dealt with that in a nicer, kinder, more polite way. Um, And I think that like being on the road, it it, it holds a mirror up to you, really. It certainly did back in the day when you couldn't hide behind your phone the whole, like when I was, I had no phone. I had like a literal map of India, which I was using to like get around. (laughs) And things have changed a bit now. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash altitude go to apply. 
Limited time offer, the creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. I know you have the manifesto on on your website and I was going to ask you about it because... um, I wanted to hear why you think it's important to write your values down in that way. I mean, you've been doing this. I didn't know you've been doing it since you were 17. So that's really interesting. It would be cool to see what you wrote before and how they've changed. But yeah, why why is that important? I mean, is that something you recommend people do? Like, what's your methodology? Just any, yeah, why it's important to you and any advice you want to share that's been helpful for you? Yeah, absolutely. So all around my house as well, I've got like whiteboards up on all the walls where I'm, I've got like affirmations written out. I've got like important lessons that apparently if I don't write them down, I have to keep learning them again and again and again. So I try and have this stuff visually in front of me. Uh, I do like a lot of habit tracking. So my habit tracking is like aimed around setting my goals and then like, okay, what, what do I need to do to get to these goals? And like just ticking stuff off every day. I feel like we've written the manifesto and we've coming up with your value system. Kind of, it kind of brings us back to religion in a way in that a lot of people are not religious now. And I think that the disadvantage of that is that religion's always filled that role of providing people with their value system with their, Hey, this is what you do to be a good human. And a lot of people have moved away from religion and I understand why. And the disadvantage of that is that now there's, there's less guidance. And there's, there's, less, there's less reminders uh, of, of what it means to be a good person and how, how to show up in a way where you're accountable, where you're productive, where you're kind. And um, for me, like I, I'm a very goal-orientated person. So I feel like I, I need to have those values to be really clear so that where I get to, you know, in in 10 years time, I want to be a father and I I don't want to be a fucking drug addict, alcoholic father. I don't want to be so out of shape that I can't play with my kids. I don't want to be glued to my phone. I don't want to have an issue with pornography or video games or whatever. So for me, it's important to set your goals and to get clear on like what habits you need to to get to those goals. And I think that within the goals themselves, that's kind of where you find your value system. You know, like what's important to you? Do you want to be a good friend? Do you want to be a good partner? Is it important to you to create? It might not be. There's no wrong answers, you know. Um, but I think that 
it's something that is very important to think about because otherwise you're just flying blind. It's your compass, I guess, in a, in a way. Because I know the first two, I'm not sure when, when you last updated it, but the first two are connect with nature and put your phone down. I was wondering why you listed those as the first two in your manifesto, why that was important to you. You know, you're working online a lot. Like I see what you've built and it takes a lot of online screen time and maybe not so much now as it did before. And now you got the hostile thing, which is more real world. And I want to talk about this balance and, and how you came to that. But, you know, I, I wasn't surprised to see connect with nature as number one, but I also know how much screen time you have to put in to, to build something that you've built and then put your phone down. That's another screen thing too. So is that, is that sort of like to keep you in check? Or are you, are you following those? Like what? Yeah. What, talk about that a bit. So I, I am following those. Um, but like a few years ago, I had like major issues. Um, I was on my phone all the time. I was like blowing up on Snapchat and I was getting, you know, I had a hot, hot, random hot women texting me all the time. People telling me that I was inspiring and brave and all the fucking rest of it. And I was just addicted to the affirmation. So I quit Snapchat. I'm not on there anymore. I had like a, a shit ton of followers and I just quit. Um, and it was a terrible, terrible, terrible decision for my business but it was a great decision for my mental health. And every year I'll take at least a month where I'll I'll go off without my laptop. I have two phones on one phone. Only two people have that number and there's just audible podcasts. There's no social media, there's nothing. Um, So I I have designed a system where I'm off my phone most of the time. Um, I tend to put my my main work phone down at 8 p.m. It goes in a different room. It goes in a locked box. And um, I've got my other phone, which just has like stuff that I'm okay with spending my time on. Um, but yeah, no social media and, and just a couple of people. Like my mum has that number, my girlfriend has that number, that's it. Um, so I've, I've definitely had to design a system. You are 100% correct that when you're building an online business, especially if it's in the travel space, a lot of screen time is required. The problem is that a lot of screen time is required, but also... The apps that you're spending time on, especially social media apps, they are designed to be addictive. So then you're going down this really dangerous pathway because you're telling yourself, oh, I'm building my business. I'm working. You're basically giving justification for these apps to get their tentacles into you. And that is a dangerous game. So I feel like I'm not I'm not going to say to someone who's an aspiring entrepreneur and wants to like be an influencer or, or whatever that you should like, you know, not go hard at it. But you have to have a cutoff time. You have to have some rules. You've got to have a container to keep it in because otherwise it will take over your entire life because it did take over my entire life and I was very unhappy. So I changed things. Yeah, that's great. I love that system. I mean, that's a really practical thing, right? Just have two phones and keep all your, let's say, the uh, the tentacle type stuff, as you mentioned, <laughs> on one phone. And, and like you yeah, have like a secret phone, I guess, in a way. I like that. It's a really cool, like actionable thing. You mentioned the hitchhiking thing. Let's just talk about that because my experience hitchhiking was uh, really about, wasn't like restoring my faith in humanity. Like I had faith in humanity, but it definitely does something to like, yeah, it just, it just reemphasizes it maybe like, wow, people are pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. I just wanted to hear what your experience hitchhiking, cause you've done quite a lot of it. What did it teach you? You mentioned having life-changing experiences in in places like Pakistan and Iran, and you were also hitchhiking there. So, can you talk about like that style of travel and how it's impacted you, and and maybe even specifically in those countries and things like that? Hitchhiking has has just been the most wonderful adventure for me. I read um, 
Jack Karak's um, on the road book all about hitchhiking. And I was just like, all right, I've got to try this. So I ended up hitchhiking all across Europe and then back across Europe, down through Spain, across Morocco. And that was like my first big hitchhiking trip. And that was like three months. And it was amazing. And, you know, I was aiming to get from like A to B, but somebody would pick me up and drop me off in C and it would just end up being way better. And I think that was a big highlight of hitching for me is the serendipitous nature of how the journey could unfurl. You know, you'd be tired, you'd be hungry, you'd be a little bit stressed maybe, and then someone would pick up and they'd pick you up and they'd be like, yo, you want to come to my house and we'll cook and smoke a joint? And I'd be like, yeah, that that sounds great. I haven't had a shower for three days. Yeah, let's do it. Um, especially places like Pakistan and Iran. Um, you know, these very misunderstood countries, a lot of the time the locals are very aware that um, the only portrayal that their country gets is like negative um, press in the media. So they're so culturally hospitable anyway, but then you throw that on top of the fact that they have almost like a civic patriotism duty to try and dispel these myths about their country. And I I can't even begin to tell you um, some of the experiences I've had in these countries where people have just been so ridiculously kind to me to the extent that I've been like, am I going to get hit on the back of the head with a club and thrown into a sack? Because this just feels like ludicrously kind. Um, I've had people drive me, you know, 100 miles out of their way. I've had people feed me. I've had people clothe me. I've met a couple of complete nutters on the road. Uh, I've had a couple of romantic rendezvous of people who have picked me up. I've had some really interesting conversations. Um, And I think that overall, the interesting thing about hitchhiking is you would think that there's a certain type of person that picks you up and and there really isn't. Um, I've had people pick me up and I'm the first hitchhiker they've ever picked up. I've had people pick me up And, you know, they hitchhiked across Europe to India back in the 70s. So it's just a really interesting way to get a general general slice of kind humans from every background, people who are interested, people who want to learn your story, people who want to share their story. It's amazing how uh, inquisitive and vulnerable I've had drivers be with me on the road like i've definitely had some conversations where i'm like whoa i feel like this guy or this lady has picked me up because they maybe need to talk to a psychiatrist and, and now i'm in their their passenger seat and we're sharing and we're connecting and and i think that's what it's all about really that sharing and that connecting that is made possible when you're like sticking your thumb out to the universe trusting and somebody is also trusting that you're not a nutter and that it's going to be an enjoyable experience to pick you up. So there's just there's, there's, there's trust going from both ways. And I, I think that can lead to some amazing experiences. It's interesting. And all of those trust decisions need to be made in a split second of eye contact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, but I have you know, had people like who I've made eye contact with. They've missed me. And they've been like on a motorway or whatever. And they've driven around like 30 miles out of their way to come back. And it's, yeah, it's wild. They're just like that guy. Will seems okay. We're we're gonna we're gonna hook him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you know, the idea of traveling on a small budget is something some, I'm sure people listening have done and, and others maybe not so much or maybe not to the extent that you have. You were talking about like $10 a day or something like that in India and um, other places, I'm sure. I know this is sort of a catch-all question, but since you've, you've had a lot of experience traveling on a small budget, I just wanted to hear your best advice for traveling on a small budget. To start with, it's definitely worth saying that um, the main advantage of traveling on a small budget, other than not spending much money, is it just brings you much closer to the country, the culture, the communities that you're traveling through. It's harder to not connect because you're there on the ground, eating in local places, meeting local people, being picked up by local drivers. Um, from like a practical tips point of view, definitely like choosing a country that isn't crazy expensive is is wise. I spent three weeks in Japan on like $10 a day and it was almost impossible. Uh, it was only because of the couch surfing community that I was able to pull it off. And I, I actually felt uncomfortable pulling it off on that occasion because I was aware that I was basically costing my hosts to have me there. So that was not such a comfortable experience to me. I didn't really think that one through before I went out there. So certainly choosing cheaper countries helps. Obviously, you've got three main costs like your food, your accommodation, your transport transport like i always try and hitchhike because you get some great stories or take local transport food i'll often cook a lot of my own food um or if you are couch surfing um you have the opportunity to like split costs with people um when i was in india the sikh temples they would do like free food for dinner for anyone that turned up so that was that was pretty good as well uh, for accommodation like i do a lot of couch surfing i also would often travel with a tent and would end up you know camping out under the stars um, cooking my own food and, and that's a cool experience that's like a, a really fun time um, some of my highlights of my trip have just been like when I've been by myself in like the woods or just outside like an old temple or fort or something in India and you know the moon's above the stars are shining there's no one around I've got my little fire going and I can pretend that I'm Indiana Jones or some Indian sultan from like a thousand years ago a lot of fun and um, and then another one that is definitely worth mentioning is like picking up some work on the road. Um, World Packers is is a good option. Um, they've got like a lot of placements where you can work in hostels or on organic farms or whatever, and you get food and accommodation in exchange for labor. I've worked on quite a few moshavs and kibbutzes and organic farms and stuff like that. Uh, that's a fun experience. It's normally only 20 hours a week and you get food, accommodation and access to a community. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, I think that... Um, Bringing down your costs is definitely also about like trying to get a little bit entrepreneurial. So especially if you're going on like a longer trip, you have the opportunity to pick up some things, whether it's silver jewelry, leather satchels, silk scarves, hippie shirts, whatever. You can pick up this stuff pretty cheap. You can bring it back to your country of origin and you can sell it at festivals or like on the side of the road. And you can make like a thousand percent doing that. So I, I did that a lot. Um, and that definitely helped, you know, buy the next plane ticket, for example. Mm. That's the antithesis of an online business, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, from a, a mindset perspective, I guess, on, on budget travel, what's a good kind of mindset to adopt if you're going into that? Uh, hey, I want to, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have. I think like the budget travel experience is valuable, even if you have millions of dollars in the bank, you know. So this is, I think, this applies to everybody. Absolutely. I think, you know, to be open-minded, to be flexible, and basically to be willing to get out of your comfort zone to save some money. Um, 
to have a plan, but not to go crazy with the planning. I mean, like when I said I was traveling around a budget of ten dollars a day, often I would spend nothing in a day, and then I would spend thirty dollars on something I needed, you know, um, and that would be like three days budget. So I think I think it's important to be flexible, um, but really it all comes down to your comfort zone. If you're if you're able to get out of your comfort zone. And I I do think that almost anybody can travel. I don't want to say that anybody can travel because some people might have like mobility issues or a weaker passport. Um, I'm obviously aware that like I'm a male from the UK, which is definitely a privileged position to be from. Um, But I do think that most people have the opportunity to travel if they are willing to be uncomfortable and to step out of their comfort zones and, and, you know, to, to dumpster dive, to hitchhike, to couch surf, to cook their own food. And um, when you are doing that, again, that's just when you you meet the most amazing people and you have the most interesting conversations. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I I came across the CNN. There's a recent CNN piece on bag packers becoming some of Asia's most disliked travelers. And lo and behold, our buddy Will here was quoted in the article. And yeah, I was going to bring this up because you kind of mentioned selling shirts on the side of the road and things like that. And I just thought, I agreed with you, man. Like, so one of the things they they lumped in bag packers is this idea, I guess, of people being on the street selling things as travelers and, you know, some people mocking them and things like that. And then they like threw buskers into the mix. I'm like, wait a minute. You can't just lump like a whole group of people in that. Like, in my opinion, I feel like, um, you know, it takes guts to kind of go and play music on the street. Nobody has to give you money. You're, you're, you're doing something. And also, you know, you can't, if you can't, if you're traveling and you can't necessarily legally work in a country and you're not trying to work illegally because you're just passing through, it's just a, a service you can try to offer, I suppose. If you look, you know, you look at a lot of different ways, but I don't know. I just wanted to get your thoughts on this because I thought this article was kind of crap. I've been in this debate a few times. They always contact me because I seem to be the person that's like on You're the, the other side of the argument. You're the go-to So guy. basically, anytime <laughs> they want to do an article on backpacking, they're like, hey, can you give your, your points? And I'm like, well, my points are the same as last time. Busking is not the same as begging. Like creating something to sell, whether it's beautiful music or bracelets or like, you know, weaving baskets or whatever – it's very different to sitting on the ground with a sign in front of you saying, please give me money. It's two different things. So I do agree that like begging um, as a foreign traveler is like not responsible and you shouldn't really be doing that. Like if you're in a situation where you feel you need to beg, you should go to your embassy and get help. But like you, you, can't, you cannot lump in somebody playing guitar on the side of the street with someone who is it's just two just two totally different things um but i think that you know there's quite a lot of righteous hate against like the hippie vibe folks who are traveling on the cheap and who maybe don't have loads of money and who are making it work but i tell you what i've met a lot of people who are busking and selling stuff on the side of the street and normally normally they're very cool very humble very chill people who like the last thing they would want to do is to take away from uh, local artisans and local musicians. And so, yeah, I don't know. It it definitely frustrates me uh, big time that they continue to lump in buskers with beggars because it just, it's just so different. Yeah. I mean, I guess they need something to write about, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they need you to comment on it. Uh, That's funny. 
We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks So they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Speaking of selling things in business and all that, you mentioned kind of like you know getting things, selling them on the street, and then, and then building an online business to seven figures, if I'm correct, and what I read, I don't know if that's through advertising, if it's through the broke backpacker, other things that you built or whatever. It sounds amazing, like building a business to seven figures. But what is the reality of that? You already mentioned kind of having to get off the screens and things like that. I just want to... I'm not lumping you in with this because you're very honest with everything you share. But you see people sharing things that it just kind of it's like the big headline, but you don't really see what's actually going on behind the scenes or understanding the amount of work. And, and, you know, even if they were able to do it in a very clever way and it wasn't tons of work, it's still like anything else. It comes with, you know, challenges and different things like that. And, you know, there are probably some people listening and admire what you built. I've certainly admire what you've built with the broke backpacker. And yeah, I just wanted to hear, you know, some of your thoughts on, on like what it took and, I want to get some advice, basically some business advice and things like that. We'll get into that in a minute. But yeah, just just talk about the reality of what that meant. Sounds like you, you had some bankruptcy things. Talk about your journey a bit in the business side. <laughs> sure. I mean, like as for what it took and what it cost, it, it took and it cost like everything that I had to give. Uh, it I honestly did it and it killed me. <laughs> like um yeah, I mean, the initials, like, I'm, I'm talking about a specific couple of years and I'll build up to that and I'll, I'll just kind of tell you about the, the journey over the last 10 years. So um, the journey of the Broke Backpacker, like the site was started about 10 years ago. Um, and for the first couple of years, it was, it, there was no pictures. There was no, I didn't know what SEO was. You know, I, I wasn't making any money. It was just like a diary, basically, where I would ramble about people I had met whilst hitchhiking. Um, and then it, it started to grow. I did a few things that attracted the attention of the media, like going to Venezuela. 
Um, I wanted to be a journalist, so I started selling stories to the BBC, Daily Mail, like a bunch of our publications. Being a freelance journalist is really fucking hard. Um, you never know how much money you're going to make. It's normally not very much, though, um, and you have to work your ass off. But I was able to generate some backlinks and some exposure to my humble little travel blog by, by doing this. So that kind of set the stage. I then did this like big trip where I was trying to travel from England to Papua New Guinea without flying. And I hitchhiked all across Europe, up through Turkey, through Georgia, into Iran, met my wife, went into Pakistan, loved Pakistan, got to India, got a rickshaw, which I planned on driving like 2,000 kilometers around India, painted it in psychedelic colors, took a tab of acid, hit the road, and discovered that it went like a maximum speed of 32 kilometers and that it could only be push started, um, which meant that like it was honestly, dude, like trying to ride this rickshaw around was the most exhausting thing I'd ever done. Uh, then Nina, my, my, my wife, my new bride <laughs> came out and joined me. And, and then that was it with her flight. We were completely out of money. Um, I had a credit card that was maxed out and, um, so it was it was time to like really knuckle down and to see if I could grow the Broke Backpacker into something successful. Um, we went to Thailand and I spent pretty much two years working like 60, 70 hours a week. During that time, I went back to Pakistan. I Snapchatted my experience. I asked my audience if they would like to come on a tour with me. I launched a tour company. I took some people out there. I made my first like amount of money, which was like six grand. Um, which enabled me to like start to scale up the broke backpack a little bit, hire a couple of riders, and I spent just two years going at it, um, just 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 going at it incredibly hard, just hustling, just trying to learn everything I could about SEO, about affiliate marketing. I designed a bunch of my own products. I was trying stuff left, right, and center. Every cent I made was like going into the site. Like we wouldn't eat a lot of the time. We didn't have electricity sometimes because I couldn't like pay the electricity bill. This is the first place I've been based for a while. And um, it was a real mental change for me to be off the road and to be like working so hard on this business. Um, but then it started to pick up. And, you know, then, then, then when one month it made like three grand and then the next month it was five grand. Month after that, it was ten grand, and it just it just kept rolling until before you knew it, I had this absolute fucking monster on my hands. That, to be honest, I was not qualified to run. I didn't really know what I was doing, uh, but I was just trying to figure it out along the way, hiring smart people, trying to like talk to other smart people. I launched a bunch of different businesses. I, I launched about thirty different sites. Um, I had affiliate sites in everything from travel to like this real niche one, which was called pro women powder. And it was about protein powder for like recent mothers who needed to get like more protein in, in their milk, in their milk. That one failed. Um, a few of them failed. Um, but yeah, we were just experimenting with like everything we could in the affiliate marketing space and slowly, but surely the, the broke backpack just like really took off until it got to a point where we had like 1.5 million users a month like unique users a month which is like mad numbers um it's monetized almost exclusively for affiliate marketing we do have like some of our own products on there but most of them i had to wrap during covid because shipping costs went up by like 400 percent. everything was like terrible um the tour company which i launched i also had like a little guest house in pakistan for a while i'm not doing that anymore uh, that was very crucial for like the journey because it, it brought in hard cash by me going out to Pakistan and 
leading backpackers on this like 16 day itinerary that I designed. But yeah, I, it really, it really did. Like it, it took a, it took a lot from me for sure. Like um, I was, you know, I like put on a ton of weight. I was pretty overweight because I'd always been very active. And suddenly I was like at my computer for like 10, 11, 12 hours a day. Um, I didn't really know how to build a team or how to find people who were trustworthy to hire. So some mistakes were made there. Um, but we get to like the beginning of 2020 and I'm like, 2020, this is the year. This is the year of perfect vision. It's all going to be amazing. And then, of course, COVID hits. So my site goes from making six figures a month, which is insane money, to like making a loss of five figures a month of like money that I had squirreled away that I'm now having to like spend, right, on just like keeping my team employed. Um, we doubled down during COVID. We like fixed a lot of the problems on the site because I had basically built the site myself badly and it needed like to, it was, it was, it was bad. It had to be like completely rebuilt. And it, the site today has 3000 plus posts on it, but even back then it was like a thousand posts. And so like rebuilding that and reorganizing that was just crazy. We expanded our team of writers um, and I've just continued since then to explore new avenues that interest me. What, I mean, like for me, the, the two things that kind of like really turn me on is like the power of personal development through travel, especially through budget travel and online entrepreneurship, because I've, I've done a lot of things in the online entrepreneurship space. I've learned a lot. I've had some, some pretty like massive successes. I've had some pretty crushing failures. Like, honestly, like I have lost so much money on various projects. And like I said, I'm like from a poor background. I've never had any money. So it's it's just been this like kind of roller coaster of emotions. Um, I think that from an advice point of view for other entrepreneurs, I think that certainly it is a game of just continuing continuing forwards. Like just, just keep moving, stay positive, stay optimistic, find the humor in situations when they go wrong do the work you need to do i think like every day i'll i'll just open up my journal i'll be like what is the thing i need to do today for my work like what's the one thing if i do this one thing then it doesn't matter if i don't do anything else because i will have made a dent in what i'm supposed to do and i think doing that rather than redesigning your logo or responding to dms on instagram is is important i think you have to be like structured you have to be focused you have to just get that big thing done and I think finding the balance between managing and growing a business and a team and social media, I don't want to harp on about social media too much. Obviously, I'm not a big fan of social media, but I think that finding that balance is really important because it can just be a huge time sink otherwise. Um, but yeah, man, my journey was crazy and like uh, it was not easy at all. I wouldn't say that I'm a particularly intelligent person but i am a fucking hard worker like i'm a grafter so i can just go i can just i can just like get get into it and do what needs to be done um, and i think that at the end of the day work ethic and discipline is, is always going to eat in like raw talent and intelligence for breakfast you can be the most fucking talented person in the world and if you haven't got the discipline to do the work you're not going to get very far see that's all it takes folks <laughs> <laughs> and just like that you can make seven figures on 
Ten years of your life. Ten years of your life. Yeah. <laughs> no, the irony is, is because we started around the same time. Like you started your site around, I guess it would have been 2013 or something, and that's when the podcast yeah. started in 2013. I've said this before too, and it sounds like it's very similar in your situation. Like then you spent two years off the road and worked these crazy hours building this thing up. That's the irony to build something in travel online like this. It, it's easier if you're not traveling. <laughs> It is. Sadly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that was kind of the motivation though as well for like why we built this hostel because I was in a difficult situation where when we were traveling and were trying to work, I couldn't find anything where it had the kind of work facilities that I needed, um, but also it had like access to the backpacker community, the backpacker vibe. So I was staying in hostels. But I wasn't able to get anything done in these hostels. It was like not the right kind of environment, you know? Well, I, I want to talk about the, the hostel in a second. I, I was going to ask you about AI. I was wondering if it's if you're using it for your business, oh, yeah. if so, how? And if I'm just wondering what you think it's going to do to online business and travel. Yeah, it's a great question. So um, AI, we have been using some AI-generated content, but not on the Broke Backpacker. I've been doing it on a couple of other little sites that I have basically as an experiment to see what happens, to see if these sites get slapped down by some kind of Google algorithm update. What I have found it personally useful for is if I was to be planning out a post, it can be useful for generating prompts for that. Um but I don't really want to use AI and I feel that AI generated content at the moment is still quite easy to spot. So I've had some writers who work for me try to submit AI generated content. They don't work for me anymore. Um, and I think that that's going to get more and more common. I think that as for like the future of AI within the travel industry, I can only really comment from the point of view of Google because I'm a pure SEO. Like 0.1% of our traffic comes from social media. I'm an, I'm an SEO guy. Now, my feeling is that Google is unlikely to want to relinquish control to AI-generated content. So I feel that probably the AI that Google has access to to spot AI-generated content is much better than the tools that I've got access to. And I imagine that at some point in the future, there will be some kind of algorithm update which will massively slap down sites that have been using ai generated content so i don't think it's worth the risk but i am interested which is why i've popped a couple of experiments up online to see what happens um i think that if you were doing a podcast for example or if you were doing something that doesn't necessarily need like the written word i think it can be super super useful to like help plan out topics help plan out how you want something to flow like you might be like okay i'm going to talk about 10 reasons for starting a business and it's uh, you could plug that into chat gpt and you could say hey i'm going to talk about 10 reasons to start a business here are the first five give me 10 suggestions for the other five and it saves some critical thinking time for sure. Um, but yeah, overall, like I'm not really a fan of AI. I, I'm quite old fashioned in that way. You know, I like writing articles that are like 15,000 words long and nobody ever reads. That's kind of my style. So um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of AI. If I had the option to put it back in the box, I would. But um, it's out now. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens. You know, what I will say is in the SEO space, I don't think a year has gone by 
where there hasn't been something that's going to just completely end SEO forever. And it hasn't happened yet. So I was talking to a buddy about this this morning. He was like, well, what, what can you do to future-proof the Broke Backpacker against um, changes to how people develop, uh, how changes to how people consume content through AI? And I was like, oh, no, man. Like, what can I do to future-proof my house in Bali from being hit by a tsunami? Like, not much, <laughs> really. I think I'm just going to not think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mentioned the 15,000 word article that nobody reads or whatever. And I mean, I assume you love to write. It sounds like you've been writing your whole whole life. And that's something that is either cathartic for you or something that helps you work things out. And I'm sure you, there's things about it, love it on a love about it on, on a lot of levels. So I'm going to zoom this out as a general question. But when you're, when a craft that you love, like writing, is a core part of your business, then you're looking at something and you're looking at your time and day and you're saying, okay, should I write something that's based on SEO that, you know, can grow my business or is it time to just have a creative release because I just need the creativity of this for my soul. I I, I don't care if it's, if 15 people read it or if it ranks in SEO or whatever, like maybe I'll try something small, but you know, do you, do you ever have that struggle or do you kind of, Yeah. What are your thoughts around that? I definitely I definitely did. But now, at the point where I'm at in my business at the moment, I really only write for fun. Um, I still do like a lot of the strategy and the design and the finding of new content opportunities. And if I find one that's fun, like I found one the other day, which was like how to travel cheap in expensive countries. And I talked about my experiences in Japan and talked about Scandinavia and stuff like that. And that was fun to write. But like if I find an SEO opportunity, like things for couples to do in Denver, I don't want to fucking write that. So I'm going to get someone else to write that. Um, at the beginning, I, I was I was doing all of it, right? I was I was the writer. I was the website designer. I was like the Snapchat guy. I, I was doing all of it. But now I just write the things that are fun and I do the strategy. And like my main role is keeping the team together, finding new talent, employing new people, incentivizing people, knowing like what people can and can't do. Uh, I do a lot of editing. So like if I have someone, um, a lot of the time I'll, I'll pass all things out to my team and then I'll, I'll jump in at the end and, and edit it and give it a bit more of a pizzazz, a bit more of a shine, you know. But yeah, I, I love writing, man, but I did fall out of love with it for a while and I had, to, um, I had to fall in love with it again. So I started writing these crazy sci-fi stories about like space and, and yeah, now I'm in love with writing. <laughs> what was the last one or what was your favorite one? Any time travel? I love time travel stories. Any time travel in there? I haven't, I haven't, I haven't tried time travel yet, but I do like to do like ye olde fantasy lands where like the evolution of creatures on the planet has gone in a different direction. So you've got like a race of lizard people, and you've got like giant hamsters <laughs> running around that you can ride into battle and stuff like. None of this is published. No one's ever seen this, but <laughs> maybe you'll be the first. <laughs> I love it, man. That's cool. I mean, it's important to have that creative outlet i feel you know and if you're getting it there that's that's great the hostel tribalbali.com is the website and we'll link to all this stuff but you know i couldn't help but when you when i heard you opened the hostel and the co-working space and everything like that a, a couple questions first I, I would imagine the all the intense online work maybe this was like a a counterbalance to that you know let's get back into the real world and 
reconnect in that way because I've definitely felt that urge and implemented more of those things in my life as well. So I wanted to hear about that first, and then I have another follow-up question. Yeah, no, like definitely having a physical space where I get to meet aspiring entrepreneurs, people who are right at the beginning or in the middle or at the, you know, already have made it on their journey. I found that to be a really valuable experience. Uh, I found my own entrepreneurship journey pretty lonely. Uh, I didn't meet many other people who were traveling or working how I was. All of my, like for the first like two years of the site's life, I was doing it all on an iPod Touch. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a laptop. Just doing it all on iPod Touch, and I'd like upload it via like Wi-Fi. Um, so it was definitely a lonely experience. And having a hostel where I can meet these cool people and remain plugged into the backpacker community that I love so much has been like really, really valuable for me. Um, and also like, being in, you know, it's it's very it's different, man. I've never I've never done anything like this. Like I've been designing the menu and like. Was talking to like my co my co founder Mark about like how we're going to grow things and where we want to go next and who we want to put into management positions and how we're going to incentivize our staff and what events we want to put on and what we want the vibe to be like and like it's just it's something very very different but because it is aimed at serving a community that I'm passionate about like a community of doers a community of thinkers a community of people who want to work remote want to have this lifestyle. It's definitely revitalized me at a time where I was maybe starting to feel a little bit tired. So it's been okay. good. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, man. I'm I'm absolutely enjoying it. We've got big plans. We've got big plans. Like we're currently in the process of looking at land for a second one. Um, and there's plans to expand the existing building that we have as well because there's quite a lot of additional facilities I want to add. And honestly, dude, it's like fully booked all the time. So I need to build some more rooms somehow. There's no question that nomads, uh, remote workers are having an impact on local communities. They're going to have more of an impact on local communities as more people get freed up to go and have these experiences like this. And you're one of the people out there creating the infrastructure for this, right? But when the infrastructure is there, that also means there's, you know, more people are coming. And then I'm just wondering how you're, you know, as somebody who's traveled around, who I imagine is sensitive to these types of issues. How are you managing the collaboration with the community? You know, what what do you think sort of the good, bad, and ugly of having so many travelers coming in and, and sort of like, I don't want to say taking over in a community, but it depends on how big it is, right? Like in some cases it may be a bit like that. I haven't been to Tulum recently, but I've heard some things, you know. And it just sounds like with this influx comes a lot of things comes money, but also perhaps problems, perhaps many other things. So I, yeah, I wanted to hear your thoughts around these issues now dealing with it in the real world, how you're managing it. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely like Bali is like Tulum in that it, it's good, it's bad and it's ugly. There's, there's all three here for sure. It's very popular, but we have kind of like three segments of people that are here. Uh, we've got people who come for short holidays. They might be people who are on their honeymoon. They might be 18 year olds from australia who just want to get fucked up we've got people who are interested in working here and come out for like a month and check it out and decide if it's for them and then we've got like expats who are here long term there's a, there's a, a big population of people who live here like year round right now i would say that in general 
a lot of the issues that Bali experiences are from that first segment of people who were here for a shorter period of time. Um, what we've done at the hostel is we've really tried to work with like the local community. Like all, our, our entire team is is like local. Um, we have like team meetings. We work with local communities to organize like beach cleanups. We work with a local banjo. We've got like an event where we'll like let our guests sit in on a ceremony and be talked through like the significance of each part of the ceremony. So we've tried to include like these cultural collaboration elements where our guests can learn a little bit more about like what life is like in Bali as a local person. And then we've just tried to be a responsible employer, uh, you know, by providing like above average pay and benefits for our staff. Um, I think that at this stage in our life of, of where we're at, we're still like in the beginning stage. And like, honestly, I'd like to do quite a lot more with the local community. I'd like to like do some more collaborations, have some more events, have some more like, um trips that we can do which show a more raw and authentic side of bali rather than like just taking people to the same old touristic attractions again and again uh but we are kind of at the beginning stages of that um i think that there are some players here who are doing it really well um who are really managing to consult and work with the local community unfortunately there's not much regulation in bali and there are I mean, even just looking at the building projects, like you can pretty much just build here and bribe somebody. And it's that's, that's what a lot of people do. We didn't do it that way. We did everything by the book, which turned out to be more expensive. Um, but a lot of people will just bribe and they'll, they'll build some monstrosity in the middle of a rice field. So I think Bali, I think Bali has got some things to figure out as, as for how it's going to continue to develop in a way that isn't going to take away from the charm of this like genuinely very very special place but i'm quite proud of of what we have done so far and how and how we have handled things as an industry now that you're in that industry let's call it you know uh infrastructure for travelers hospitality workers yeah yeah hospitality i mean because it's more it's not the traditional hospital that well i mean you know there's part of that but it, it looks a lot different now than it did when i was you know hosteling 20 years ago now you have people that can bring their work and stay for all these extended period of time and you need different needs and, and all that stuff and and really people kind of moving in temporarily or longer term into a place so do you think as an industry a hospitality industry of this side of the hospitality industry not like the hotel where people are staying for a few nights but this co-working this kind of idea are they generally doing things right or kind of where where is it right now the model that we have built with like having a co-working hostel, uh, we are the only like purpose-built co-working hostel in Bali that I know of. I'm always keeping an eye out for other ones. I think the closest thing that I can compare us to is other purpose-built co-working centers, but most of them don't have accommodation. I think that in general, on honestly, I feel like the co-working spaces in Bali have done quite a good job at incorporating locals into the planning and the strategy so that it isn't just like foreigners moving in building something and kind of like pushing the locals further down the road if that if that makes sense um i would i would say that that particular industry of servicing digital nomads and giving them what they need i think that more digital nomads are than aren't concerned about being like a positive impact on the places that they're visiting what city are you in or i mean 
village or what, what's uh, what do you where are you guys located? Uh, I'm in Preranen, which is like just outside of Changu, which is this very hipster spot for surfers, which is pretty busy now. It was quieter when I was here five years ago, but where where I am, Preranen, it's like it's it's nice, man. I've got like rice field views, and my dogs are running around through the rice fields all day, so it's cool. Cool. I think I want to come for a visit. I don't know how it's going to happen. Yeah, come, come on down, man. It sounds fun. Anything you miss about the UK? Yeah. Um, you probably have heard of Pret. Uh, they make this really amazing pickle sandwich. I miss that sandwich. It's always food, isn't it? <laughs> it's always food related. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, it's certainly not the weather. I mean, I've got to be honest with you, though. Summer in England, especially cause where I'm from, uh, there's some, some beautiful woods and have like a whole carpet of bluebells during the summer and that's that's pretty special but uh no man i haven't spent much time in the uk uh i was last there like five years ago um and i, I don't want to talk bad about the uk definitely got some some things going for it but i i don't think i'll spend much time there again to be honest my mom's coming for a visit next week poor poor thing is stuffing her suitcase with so many crappy American snack foods. It's all the, the requests came pouring in. Well, so anyway, if I can get my hands on uh, whatever it was called and I'm coming down there, I'll bring you a, a jar or what, what, I don't know, whatever it is. You have to send it to me. Please. If I, if I make it. Um, pickles. All right. Pickles. Just, yeah. Pickles. There you go. Two, two last things. A really light question. What matters most in life? <laughs> Purpose. I think without a purpose, for me, it would be hard to do anything. Um, I think that putting in the work to define what your purpose is for the day, for the month, for the year, for the decade, for your lifetime, I think that's a process. But yeah, I think I think pu- purpose is, is what matters most to me. Cool. We'll end it there and feel free, of course, to we have all the links in the show notes, but feel free to share anything here if you'd like. Yeah, sure. Uh, obviously, the site is thebrokebackpacker.com. Um, and if anyone is swinging into Bali, the hostel is tribal. And I'm normally there. And if you do manage to beat me at a game of pool, I will buy you a cocktail. <laughs> awesome. Will, thanks so much for your time and glad we had the opportunity to chat. And I look forward to staying in touch. It's been a pleasure, man. Thank you. I appreciate you. Cheers. Thanks again to Will Hatton. Love how open and honest he is in sharing. And congratulations to him on all the projects he has going on. Maybe you'll meet up with him down there in his hostel. Pretty cool stuff. Thank you so very much to you for listening. I want to give a shout out to a listener here before I let you go who just got back from a trip and sounds like they had a great time. Here's Audrey. Hi, Jason. My name is Audrey. I just want to thank you for all of your inspiration. I just got back from Spain and Ireland with my two kids. I set up a trip for two months. We went and toured a bunch of really great areas, Airbnbs, Camino de Santiago, Santander, San Sebastián, León. We just had an amazing, amazing time. And I can't be more grateful for your podcast and all that you do for inspiration. Best of luck and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Audrey, and congratulations on your recent trip. Sounds like it was an absolute blast, and yes, I'll keep things going here. I hope this interview today inspired you, and I'm going to leave you with a quote from the quote drawer. I haven't been in the quote drawer for a while. I've got a collection of uh, various pieces of my Zen calendar, and I like to reach in and 
pulling out every now and again. We'll see what we got here. This one from Ming Dao Deng, who said, Every day passes whether you participate or not. There you have it. I'm going to go participate now. Enjoy the rest of your day, and I'll see you next week. Peace and love to you and yours. Thanks again. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 